If you have your Bibles, you open up to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. In our world, in particular in this last month, we have been inundated with the idea of Pride Month or the furtherance of um, homosexuality and LGBTQ and uh, things of that nature. Uh, Those things that are being pushed at us from basically every arena of life. Uh, I noticed even last night. Uh, on Disney Plus, uh, there was a whole section uh, about celebrating Pride Month, and and just an indication of maybe where our culture is, and and it's it's a disturbing indication. But but in contrast to that, th- there's been a lot of discussion uh, about the sign that you see behind me this evening, about God's true promises and God's true intent for the rainbow. And this lesson is not really designed to to talk specifically about that because it just made me think about the promises that God has made to us that he wants us to know and he wants us to lean upon sometimes people make promises to us and we don't think too much about it but sometimes people make promises to us that that change our entire life they change the decisions that we make that they change the way that we feel about things because we're depending upon what they told us was going to happen Promises can change everything. Well, here in Genesis chapter 9, you remember the context is is that of a global flood where God destroyed everyone and everything in the world, save eight souls that were on that ark and the animals that were on that ark. It must have been a traumatic experience. We read about it and we think about it uh, in somewhat of a Sunday schoolish Uh, sort of context, but but to understand we're talking about devastation on a scale that the world had never known and hasn't known since. Eight people are all that was left. Everyone and everything was destroyed. And I can imagine if you had survived that, that moment, if you had survived even on that ark, you would not have walked off of that ark the same individual that you walked on that ark. Sometimes we have soldiers that have gone off into battle and into war, and and they come back different than they were sent. They come back changed. Sometimes we we talk about issues of uh, PTSD and things of of that nature. I think if everyone in the world, save you and eight souls, died, you would probably have some issues. And so they come off of that ark and they begin to worship God, And God says, I want you to know something. I want you to hear these things. He says in verse 9 of chapter 9 in the book of Genesis, Behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. With every living creature that is, that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth that is with you, of all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you, and all, the fle- and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood. Neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. There are things that happen that cause, cause us to, to, have, to, to get our attention. 
People who have, who have lived through the devastation of tornadoes get a little bit jumpy whenever the wind starts to blow. Vanessa, do you get, you get nervous every time there's a flash flood warning? I'm telling you, my whole life I ignored every single flash flood warning and thought, why they send those things out? Right until I went to Alan and, to Alan and Vanessa Baker's home that had been flash flooded. It probably can't rain without them getting a little bit jumpy. Everything in the world, everyone in the world is destroyed save eight souls. Do you think that you might be concerned the next time it rained? I don't see how you couldn't be. And God says, I want you to know, because I know what you're thinking. I'm never going to destroy the world in that way again. You don't have to have that fear every time that it rains. For there shall, for, for, for there, for neither shall there be a, be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said in verse 12, This is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all successive generations, I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign for a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. And when the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of the flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I will establish between me and all flesh that is on the earth. And we could talk more about the covenant and what exactly is going on here, but what I, what, what I really want us to get this evening is that that rainbow is intended to be a reminder of God's faithfulness, a reminder of God's protection, a reminder of God's provision, a reminder that we can have peace even when the wind blows for a people that would have probably struggled with peace every time that rain began to pour down. God says, you don't need to worry I promise you that. The promises of God are a wonderful thing. And if we will learn to structure our life based upon the promises of God, we will live a godly life. We will live a fulfilled life. But if we neglect the promises of God, our lives will be filled with anxiety our lives will be filled with uncertainty. Our lives will never get any farther than we can take them. This evening, I want us to spend just a few moments. I preached a little lengthy this morning, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to cut you short a little bit tonight. Probably shouldn't have said that. Then you'll come back and say, I didn't say anything short about that. But I, just, I said I was going to try. I want us to think about some of the promises of God that can change our life. Probably the most prominent that I can think of in the Bible is the promise of a heavenly home. We sing about it, don't we? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. This idea that we are simply sojourners here, that whatever goes on in this world is temporary because our true home is not of this world. 
When Jesus was attempting to prepare his disciples for his, for his upcoming crucifixion and everything that, that would follow, and their hearts would have been filled with anxiety, can you imagine? Can you imagine if the one that you thought was going to sit on the throne goes, goes to Jerusalem and he, end up, and he ends up being murdered in that place? That you would have questions, that you would have fears, that, that, that you would want to know what was going on? And Jesus says to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. As certainly as you know that there is a God, you can know that these promises are true. The Hebrew writer said that, said that without faith it is impossible to please God, for we must believe that he is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. See, to believe that God is really doesn't mean much. Even the demons believe and tremble. But to believe that He actually works in our lives, to believe, to believe that He is actually a rewarder of, of those who seek Him, to believe that He's actually going to do something in our lives, that is the essence of faith. That's what changed the lives of all of those in that hall of faith. Not just that they believe that God was, but they believe that God actually, did, actually does something in their life. And Jesus says, I want you to hear this, and I want you to believe it. As surely as you believe that there is a God, believe the things that I'm telling you. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. This indication that, that they need not be totally concerned about the things that are going on in this world. If you're totally concerned with the things of this world as the end of all things, you're going to be depressed. You're going to turn on the news and you're going to be depressed. You're going to look at your life and you're going to be depressed. You're going to feel the aches and the pains and you're going to be depressed. That's what life does, right? We even joke about how, well, that's just how life is. But yet we can have joy because we have a promise that there is a home that is waiting for us. In Acts chapter 26, Paul would make his defense. He would make his defense before Agrippa, and he says to him, I now stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God day and night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Paul says, I have hope. And because I have hope, that is what drives me. That is what has always driven the people of God. The promises, not just that he will never destroy the world with a flood, but he's telling you there is a home that is waiting for you. He makes, he makes promise of rest. The more you live in life, I think the, the deeper this promise becomes. The more that you struggle in life, the more important this promise becomes to you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Do any of you feel worn out by life? Anyone ever feel overwhelmed by life itself? You're doing the best that you can, but you don't know what to do. It's overwhelming. Jesus says, I will give you rest. If you will walk with me, I will help you to bear your burdens. The Hebrew writer would, would, would speak of this in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 11 when he says, There therefore remains a rest for the people of God. He's speaking of people who had been wandering in the wilderness for the last 40 years. There was a time of rest that was coming, but he says that's not the ultimate rest. There is a time of rest that is coming. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. For those who have worked their lives striving to be worn out for the Lord, there is a day of rest that is coming. Don't rest today. God didn't design us to rest today. God designed us to work while it is still light. But there is a day of rest that is coming. For those whose bodies are failing them, I think of people who struggle to breathe, who struggle to walk, who struggle with the most, with the most elementary parts of life. To know that there is a time when they will no longer struggle to breathe. They will no longer struggle to, to have a thought in their mind. They will no longer struggle to, to, to move. They will no longer struggle with the things of this life. God says, I'm promising you that there is rest that is coming. He also tells us that there is protection. Sometimes it's so valuable to know that someone else knows and that someone else is watching over you. You ever wonder if anybody has your back? Sometimes you go into difficult situations of life and and you know, and you know that you're outmatched in whatever the situation is. But if you just know that someone is standing there behind you to help you, to walk with you. When you think about those promises in an, in an eternal sense, in a spiritual sense. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. You know, one of the great things that we read, uh, we understand from the book of Job, even in all of Job's suffering, is that God limited Satan. That Satan could go so far, but he could go no farther, because God wouldn't allow him to go any further. Our God is sovereign over you and me and over this world, but He is sovereign over Satan Himself. Will God allow us to be tempted? Yes, He will. Will God allow us to suffer? Yes, He will. Will God allow Satan to do His absolute worst upon us? No, He will not. Sometimes throughout life, when I feel like I'm being overwhelmed by life, I need to remember that. But God is protecting me. God is limiting Satan in my life. Now, I'm going to be real honest. There are times that I wish God would limit Satan a little bit more. I think if I think that, I know Job would have thought that. But God doesn't. He is God, and we are not. But to know that He does limit Satan... 
To know that if there are things that happen in my life, there are things that can be borne. There are burdens that, can, that, can, that we can bear the burden of with the Lord. It doesn't mean there aren't things that are bigger than us. There are things that are bigger than us every single day. That's kind of the point. We walk and, and, we, and, we, and we walk with the Lord in bearing those burdens. But God protects us. Even providing us with a way of escape. Once again, he doesn't say the way of escape is going to be easy because many times the way of escape is very difficult and unpleasant even. But it's always there. It's always there. You can always, you can always choose the righteous path. We have a God who promises us protection in our life. When we get that, we can be bold. We can be bold as we live our lives. Next, we have a God who promises us worldly care. I'm just scratching the surface, really. We're just scratching the surface on the promises that God makes to His children. Do you make promises to your children? Do you tell them that you will be there? Do you tell them that you love them? Do you tell them that you will do this and you, and, and you want them to depend upon that? When I tell you I will be there, I want you to, to depend that I'm going to be there. There will be times I'll let my, my children down, but it won't be because I want to, but God never lets us down. God is perfect. That world, the care that we read about there in Matthew chapter 6, where we read about the care that God has for, 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 the lilies, for the lilies of the field, for the birds of the air. There are no hungry sparrows. Those flowers that are, that are decorated. And he says to us in Matthew 6 and verse 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And, and when you do that, all of these things shall be added to you. What is he saying? He's saying that God is going to take care of us. He's not promising you a brand new pickup truck. Not promising you a house in the nicest neighborhood in town. You may have that, but that's not what he's promising you. Praise him and give him glory if you do. But he's promising you the things that you need. And I can be good with that. I can have hope in that. I can have contentment in that. I think it's part of what Paul was understanding there, there in Philippians chapter 4, where he said that I've learned to be content both with little and with much. God is with me. God is walking with me. God is providing for me. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 33, it's our last verse. The last verse I want us to think about tonight. The Hebrew writer says, let us hold fast. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't turn loose. Don't turn back. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. You can depend upon those things. The protection of God, the provision of God, 
the rest that remains, the heavenly home that has been prepared, the bow that is set in the sky. Someone once said that faith is doing what God told us to do when, when we do what He told us to do. You, you, you notice, when we walk by faith, God walks with us. God walks with us. I think that's powerful. There have been times in my life when I felt very alone. And can I tell you, if I've ever felt alone, it was because I wasn't leaning upon the promises of God. Because God wants me to know that I'm never alone. And lo, I am with you always. They're simple words, but they're deep and they're profound. Don't turn loose. Don't don't turn loose of that hope that is within you. Because He can be trusted. His promise is a faithful promise. You can take it to the bank. So we say, could God really forgive my sins? Of course He could. He wouldn't tell us that He would if He wouldn't. Could God really take and make make a man or a woman into a great vessel for Him? Yeah, of course He could. He wouldn't tell us He would if he, if he couldn't. But we must trust in those promises. So I'm saying these things tonight because I want you to be encouraged, but I also want us to be provoked. Provoked to walk with Him. Provoked to lean upon Him. To stop living our lives as if we have to fix everything within our own power because that's going to be a sad life at some point or another but to start living our lives as if there are promises that have been made to us. And those promises can be believed and they can be leaned upon. That's why He made them. So He asks you to come and walk with Him, to be buried in, in Christ, to be born again in that watery grave, to repent of our sins, to simply cast our burdens upon Him. That's the invitation. It is to embrace the promises that God has made to each one of us. Friends, if you have a need this evening, won't you come as we stand and as we sing?